Hi, this is Shannon Palma. This is Wanda Swan. And we are the co-hosts of Once Upon a Patriarchy. We'd like to welcome Dr. Janae Taylor, who is the owner of Minding My Black Business. Uh, It's a movement and a podcast dedicated to the mental health of black entrepreneurs. Janae is an Alabama native and uh, macaroni and cheese and brunch expert. She is also fluent in sarcasm, a lover of neo-soul, and big laughs with good people. Most importantly, Janae is a daughter, big sister, best friend, godmother, HBCU grad, and trying to make a dollar out of 15 cents. Janae is a licensed psychotherapist in Virginia Beach, Virginia, where she owns and operates Taylor Counseling and Consulting Services. Thank you so much, Dr. Taylor, for joining us today. Well, thank you. I am excited to be here and I look forward to our combo. Today on the discussion block is the story of The Little Mermaid, both the original narrative as well as Disney's version. We're going to have a really great conversation around some of the changes and disruptions and also just let's get a, a retelling of our own story and let's see how, how this goes. Shannon, I know that you are uh, the resident fairy tale historian, <laughs> so <laughs> I would uh, enjoy if you could give us a little bit of backstory of The Little Mermaid. Sure. Most people didn't read The Little Mermaid. They saw the most people our age at least saw The Little Mermaid as the Disney film. So once you've seen the Disney film, the original story actually is. Well, it it can be a little hard to take. I've made people cry. Um, I made a woman cry in Macy's. True story. I made a woman cry in Macy's by telling her the real story. (laughs) So The Little Mermaid was written by uh, Danish author Hans Christian Andersen in 1837. It's basically, there there are similarities with um, with the Disney film, but... There's also a lot of differences. The Little Mermaid is the youngest of six daughters uh, being raised by the Sea King and his aged mother after the Queen's death. Hmm. So they do say he's a widower. Uh Uh-huh. And for each of the girls, they are allowed to rise to the surface on their 15th birthday. And the Little Mermaid's the youngest. So like most little sisters, that Mm -hmm. just means she watches her five older sisters do this. So for five years, she's obsessed with the thing she isn't allowed to do yet that all her sisters are becoming allowed to do. She's very much a little sister in that. I know that very well. (laughs) (laughs) So on her 15th birthday, she rises uh, to the surface and she happens upon a ship and it's the birthday of the prince in the story. And so he's celebrating his maybe his 16th birthday or so out at sea, and it coincides with hers. And there's a massive storm, and at first she's excited that he's coming down to join her, and then she realizes that that will mean his death. She realizes Mm -hmm. he's going to drown. So she saves him and kind of brings his body up to a beach and leaves him there and then watches to see if he's discovered. And he's discovered by a young maiden who who walks by. Now, the beach where she left him isn't the beach where he lives, and she doesn't know who he is. Hmm. And she's sad. And as many, you know, as as 
the youngest of six sisters. She, of course, confides <laughs> in her sisters. And what's really great about the fairy tale is there's this little line of, she told her sisters, and they didn't tell anyone except their closest friends, who swore they wouldn't tell anyone, and then they told their other friends. <laughs> and so there's this, there's like the, like, a little bit of game of telephone, but somehow it gets around to the point that somebody knows who this guy is. I love it. And that that's how she finds the palace. You know, some stuff doesn't change. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> whether you're a mermaid, whether you're a human teenager, same thing. So she, um, her sisters take her to the palace and she watches him from there. And at that point, she just, she watches him for a while. It's not an instant thing. She watches him. She's now intrigued by him. She wants to learn more about humans. She becomes really fascinated with humans and asks her grandmother, can humans die? Mm -hmm. What happens to them? We don't die. We become sea foam. Mm -hmm. And her grandmother says, they can die, but they aren't like us. And that's where she kind of finds out the big existential truth about mermaid life, mm -hmm. right? Which is they live about 300 years and then they become sea foam on the waves. Wow. And... Humans, yeah, have an immortal soul. So when humans die, they go up to heaven. Or somewhere. Or somewhere. They visit something. They go, well, you know, it's it's a Christian mermaid tale. <laughs> <laughs> so. Heaven for everyone. Right? Yeah. Right. So, no, heaven not for everyone. Heaven for humans. Ah, uh, heaven, heaven not for mermaids. humans. And discriminatory. Yeah. Heaven. Yeah. Come on. Right? So the mermaid's like, I want an immortal soul. How can I get an immortal soul? <laughs> I feel like I got a raw deal. And her grandmother tells her that the only way she could possibly get an immortal soul is if a human basically marries her. Mm -hmm. And it has to be like holy matrimony. And then she will feel a part of his soul break off and go into her. Mm. And that's how she can get a soul. That's a lot of work. That is a lot of work. It's also, that's the moment when she becomes like, well, I got to get with this guy. <laughs> like, he's super cute. I'm thinking about him all the time. And he's the key to getting a soul, right. an immortal soul. Right. Otherwise, I'm going to be sea foam on the waves. Right. So that's the thing that drives her to the sea witch. Okay. So she goes to the sea witch, and the sea witch is this, this is a terrible idea. You're not going to listen to me. I'm going to tell you this is a terrible idea. Huh. And... You know, the Little Mermaid, of course, doesn't listen to her. And the, the sea witch is like, look, if you do this, then every step that you take will be like walking on knives. This is not natural for you. If I can, I can transform you into a human, but it will be excruciatingly painful. Are mm. you sure you still want to do this? And Little Mermaid's like... Of course, because, you know, she's like, what, 16 by this point, maybe 15, 16. So she's like, it sounds like an amazing experience. This is exactly what I want to do with That's my life. a great life. idea. <laughs> I am sold. So she goes ahead and she does it. She trades her sea, her voice to the sea witch. And the, the thing is, the sea witch isn't trying to scam her. This is just a very powerful magic hmm. and requires a very powerful cost, sacrifice, in hmm. order for it to happen. So... She does it, and she gets to the shore outside the prince's palace. They find her. They 
they bring her to the palace. The prince decides she's his foundling and he takes her with him everywhere and he lets her sleep outside his door on a pillow. Wow. Oh, wow. Like a pet. She's, yes. a, she's a pet. Yes. She's not a person. Right. She's a pet. And one of the things that he and she can't talk. Oh so she God. can't be more than a novelty. This is way worse than I thought. It, it's pretty bad. Okay. And then the prince tells her that he fell in love with a maiden who found him on the beach. But that was, she was like a novice at a convent or something like that. She's unattainable in some way. Just a random convent. Just a random convent. Who okay. knows? Yeah. She's unattainable in some way. And... He's never going to be able to be with the woman that he's in love. And the woman he's in love with is the woman who found him on the beach. And the Little Mermaid's like, well, what about me? And he's like, I was practically unconscious the whole time we were interacting. And I do not identify you with anyone. Hmm. Sorry. Gosh. Right. He doesn't say any of that. He doesn't remember her. Right. Um. So his parents want him to get married. So they want to arrange a marriage he basically is like i'm never gonna love anyone but the maiden on the beach but i can't have her so whatever and then he says to the little mermaid you know you're like my best bud if i was gonna marry anyone it would be you what right what right what? and he says this <laughs> while he's like hey come with me on my trip to meet my arranged bride i'm not gonna marry her but i have to meet her it's like a thing so he goes, he brings the Little Mermaid with him to go meet the woman they want him to marry. And then he discovers it's the maiden from the beach. And it changes everything. It changes everything because we're true love. Twin. Oh my gosh, he is Whoa. such, he's such a problem. True he's such love. a problem. Yeah. True love. No. And marriage <laughs> is what brings us together today. <laughs> So I had a Prince Pride moment. I couldn't help it. I'm so sorry. Um, I'm getting back there. Hold on. Give me a second. All right. Okay. So meanwhile, yes. sisters have been like every so often waving at the Little Mermaid, being like, we miss you. She's their baby sister. They're Aww. like, you have made terrible decisions. Mm -hmm. So they go to the Sea Witch. And they sell their hair, which is their, you know, the Little oh, Mermaid wow. had a beautiful voice. The right. sisters all have beautiful hair. They sell their hair to the sea witch in exchange for a knife. If the mermaid will kill the prince with the knife, then she can become a mermaid again and rejoin her family. Okay. And seems simple enough. Seems simple enough. Right. So he brings her on his honeymoon, of course, on his oh, wedding trip. Oh, he is. Oh, I have a word for him, but I can't say it. Mm hmm. But he is. He's that word. He's an F boy. He is a yeah. bad. Yes. Yes, he this is. This is so sad. Uh, so, yeah, he brings her on his wedding trip, and she gets the knife from her sisters. They approach the ship, and she's standing over him and his bride, and she can't do it. She lo she actually really loves him. So she drops the knife, goes out onto the deck, and becomes expects to become sea foam on the wave, because that's the other price that the sea wish tells her, is that if he doesn't fall in love with her, if he doesn't marry her, and there's no time limit on it. When she does this, if he falls in love with her and he marries her, mm -hmm. she will gain an immortal soul. It's and if she if he never falls in love with her but he never marries anyone, then presumably they would just go on like that until one of them died. But if he marries another, then on the day the morning after his wedding, she'll turn into foam on the waves. She'll die. 
Why did Disney think this is a good idea? I have no idea why Disney thought this was a good idea. <laughs> this is a terrible. It's such a dark story. Well, that's the thing. I was like, when I heard this movie was coming out, what the <laughs> heck? <laughs> Disney? <laughs> what is going on? It's terrible. This is not a story of love, and Oh, no. This, no. Oh, it's no. bad. It's bad. Hmm. So, basically, at the end, she goes out onto the deck, and then she's approached by the spirit of the air, and they say, because you were so noble and so loving, you're not going to become foam on the waves. You're going to become a spirit of the air, and hmm. you can watch over humanity for a hundred years. Who wants to do that? Who? So she has to sit and, and perch and watch this man and other humans? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Just corral around uh-huh. with their souls? Uh-huh. And she doesn't get one? Uh-huh. That is so trash. So wait for it. A hundred okay. years, she can earn a soul. Man, bye. Mm-hmm. No, that's... Uh-huh. No. Yeah. So that's the little mermaid. Boo! I think our definition and and just the visualization of how love is portrayed and the, I guess the winning, like like winning out at love, it doesn't look like that. These are not the stories that are are told as popular versions in our in our society. So that 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 really just thank you for giving me a sad day. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Yeah, it it is quite sad. I mean, the thing that sort of is striking and that she starts off like in some sort of nobility, right? Like she's a princess in, in the story, mm-hmm. in the original story. Yeah, she goes from dad to a pet to a slave. Yeah, and so, mm. so, and that that also is kind of interesting in comparison to like the Disney version and like this idea of so the way that they sort of paint love is almost like. It almost never seems reciprocal. It almost seems like that's something that you just pour into other people and that it's not a give and take thing. And so that seems to be very similar to the the original version. That's a very good well. point. At least yeah. at least the way she's doing it. <laughs> at least the way she's doing it. Yes. Can we can we talk about Disney's version for a second? Can we talk about how trash it is for a second, if that's okay? Yeah, um, you can do whatever you want. Show, show. Yeah, like let let's take a moment and let's talk about the Disney version of the Little Mermaid. So I watched it. Um, the I watched it today and actually rewatched it today after having not watched it for quite some time. And I had very different reactions as one would imagine because I'm a grown woman right now. And and the last time I watched it, I wasn't. I was a child, and so. A lot of the emotions that, you know, that rose up, I had feelings of nostalgia. It's like, oh, I'm watching The Little Mermaid and I know you and I know you and I know you and I know you, right? Feeling comfortable about that. And then just these having very like visceral reactions to some of the things that are that are happening. And I'm like, oh, I didn't catch this. So I didn't. Oh, wait, no, this isn't. Ah, uh, that makes me uncomfortable. But. Also, just my read of the characters at that point now from when I was a child is just completely, absolutely skewed by life now and by just human pain as I meander through this world. 
So I I I got I got beef. I got beef with every I got beef with everybody. Everybody to me in this cartoon is trash. And I know people who love swear by the Little Mermaid trash to me. Ariel is a beautiful hoarding thief. And nobody talks about that. She straight up steals stuff and she hides stuff in a cave the entire time. Uh, she dreams of a bigger life than the one of privilege that she currently resides in. We also never really quite, that's also never really addressed either. Just how much privilege she has and how much lack of accountability that she is able to to, to just muster through and use. She is a horrible daughter. Like, and not horrible as if, as in, like, she's a 16-year-old. She is legit a 16-year-old. And she is a 16-year-old who is uh, very much uh, self-absorbed, this braggadocious or bravado around being an adult. And the baby voice really irks me out. And she is, her bangs are weird to me. This has nothing to do with this, but I am, I have always been worried about why her hair sticks out from her scalp in that way. And that <laughs> kind of bold space. And it's like, can you hide stuff under that bang? And there, there, she's, she's not smart, right? She is, she's led by impulses. And again, there's just no accountability. I, I, I think she is 16. Right? Right. So, okay. So, if I'm channeling 16-year-old Janae. Okay. I'm not going to tell too much of my business. Okay. She was also quite selfish. <laughs> I, I, I remember, like, there's us. a whole song, right? About, like, I got everything that I could ever want, but I still want more or something like that. Yeah, she wants yeah. more. <laughs> yep. That's exactly um, the song. Yeah. Right. So, that part sticks out to me because that, it was never a part of 16-year-old Janae's reality. Um, uh, or, you know, the 30-something-year-old Janae now. That's not part of her reality either. So that is very foreign. Because I sort of had the same reaction as I rewatched bits and parts of the movie again today. And so, because there is a very much, like, when they started singing the Kiss the Girl song, oh. and I was like, they used to be my jam. But in contrast to sort of watching her, you know, Palm of Treasures, yeah, so there are parts of it that I can understand as a teenager. You're impulsive. You decide that you can just run away and other places will be great. Now, the actual doing of some of these things, I think her character for me is very much like a really good example of what it means to live like an individualistic life. Mm-hmm. Because she gets all these warnings mm-hmm. about how you're putting all of us in danger. And she's kind of like, yeah, okay. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. This is how I want to say they have friends, but I think they probably have servants. 
it's this is how I see their it. whole lives revolve around her. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Flounder is the perfect best friend type of flat character. We don't know who Flounder's mom is. We don't know where he lives, but we know that his life does not exist without his being with Ariel. That's what we know. Mm-hmm. Right. We mm-hmm. know that life doesn't start for him until Ariel is in his space. Eric is a prop. But he's a very powerful prop. Uh, someone who has basically been playing around for years and he just ain't wiped nobody up yet. Right? And that is the struggle. He's boring. He's so flat. <laughs> he's boring. I mean, he's cute, but he's boring. And, you know, I guess when you come from a place of privilege, that can take you everywhere. But he's boring. He bores himself. Yeah. He has nothing. I mean, he has no hobbies, no interests. He has no uh-huh. friends. He has a kingdom. He's bored often. Uh-huh. He he receives gifts. Yes. Right? And I really can't tell you anything else that he does of service at all. He doesn't cook his own right. food. Right. He doesn't manage his own day. He has no response, apparently no real responsibilities in the kingdom because in this version, he's, they're encouraging him to marry this woman who showed up in like, uh, sackcloth on the beach. (laughs) I also think that what's really interesting is that the similarities between he and, and Aria's father, things also happen around him. And if it's something that happens that he's not interested in, he'll just, you know, just let it go. Like he almost did not, he was, he just immediately lost interest in Ariel when he found out that she couldn't talk. So evidently you're not the person who sang to me. Oh, okay. But you look like you need saving and I have a savior complex. And plus I don't have anything to do because I'm boring. So I will take you in. That's kind of how I read that, that piece, that relationship, the beginning of that. So, Janae, what do you, what what kind of went through your head when you rewatched parts of it? About Eric being born? About, or... about his relationship or the, the beginning of his relationship with Ariel. He is pretty, pretty enormously born. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's interesting because I'm, I'm like recalling the like moments when he met her on the shore and or met her for a second time, or recognizing that she couldn't speak. Mm-hmm. I had this thought today, didn't have it as a child. But I'm like, why don't you get her something, like a piece of paper or something? Like, why? <laughs> <laughs> why is she continuing to be silent? Like, <laughs> Oh, my oh, God. That's, yo, yo, yo. never occurred to me. <laughs> Like, in that yeah. way, like, I never thought about it as intentionally, like, they. she is intentionally, continuously silenced yeah. throughout this. That right. is a yeah, yeah, really yeah. great He's point. He's definitely co-signing that. Oh, you can't yeah. talk? Oh, great. Works for me. <laughs> he doesn't so. even see if she, he doesn't check. Mm-hmm. Ooh, no, no, ew. no, maybe, maybe she had a little cold or something. He, nothing. He didn't get a no honey. He didn't try nothing. He didn't take so. her to the doctor. <laughs> nothing. No urgent care. <laughs> so, so not only is he boring but he might be a little you know slow but anyway so, <laughs> and so like i that just that just stuck out to me like he you know he but all these other things are happening for her like she's getting clothes made and she's 
she's being washed by the servants and being fed and mm. maybe taught how to smoke a pipe. But none of them tried to get her <laughs> to help with the communication. That was really, I'm like, that's all, all, all those things are nice, but they are all kind of external. But what about her being able to, to talk? That doesn't seem awkward or odd to you guys. Everybody's very complicit in lots of things in this in this thing. And for some reason, that made sense to me as a young child. Like, oh, okay, we're going to ignore the fact that she can't talk and, and move forward. So it does sort of seem like, in parallel with the original story, that he is fascinated by her, but it doesn't seem romantic. It right. doesn't seem reciprocated right. at all until, like, the very, very end. So in the way that, you know, Shannon, that you talked about, sort of like the pet. Like, he is like, oh, look at her. Good girl. You know, and she knows how to ride the buggy. Or maybe she doesn't. Look at her putting the fork in the hair. Like, <laughs> like it's, 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 not, it's not at all like a romantic type of, but he's yeah, fascinating. Because he's bored. With her. Yeah, she's entertaining. Right. So, so yeah. So, those are, that's my thoughts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I want to ask you and also Shannon, what are your thoughts? On Ursula, the sea witch. Mm. <laughs> so, I mean, we've had conversations about, about Ursula, so I'm trying <laughs> not have. to get that to, like, influence my response. I think she does a lot of things, and it's clear for the movie that she's supposed to scare you, and that she's this big, horrible presence and she robs people of things, even though they come to her. And sign contracts, which is, look... She's <laughs> <laughs> having an attorney on deck or something because she knows, you know. She puts uh, it on paper, baby. I need more than just your verbal consent. Yes. So, if anything, she might be the smartest one in this crew. So, because she has paperwork yeah. um, to back up her stuff. <laughs> Transactions. Ironclad. Um, in gold or something. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> come on. Yeah. So, there, I have so many questions about what's going on for her. There was a point in the movie where I thought, I wonder if Ursula is really trying to save the kingdom and recognizing that Ariel is putting everybody in danger Mm -hmm. and trying to kick her out of the water. Like, get away, because (laughs) Mm, (laughs) if I can figure out a way to get this to happen, then I'm going to make that happen. For most of the movie, she's like chilling out by herself. Like, it's not like she, as you know, demonstrative as they try to make her seem. And rightfully so when she's being, you know, when there's some sort of, you know, fight sequence going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not like she's a presence throughout the movie where she's like antagonizing all along. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in in comparison to like Scar with the Lion King, where he was kind of like a butthole the whole time. Yeah, I just, I want to know so much more. I feel like she is doing things. She's making moves and maneuvers that are really in the best interest of the people in the water, but it's not presented that way and i guess when you have to pit a powerful woman against a powerful man it makes sense that the man would win in this type of movie but then that's you know what does that say shannon what about you what are your thoughts on ursula i find it very troubling the the transition from the sea witch in the story to the sea witch in the disney film and i've read a lot of retellings you know my dissertation was on fairy tale retellings Mm -hmm. (laughs) And in a lot of Little Mermaid retellings, in fact, the vast majority of Little Mermaid retellings, other than Disney's, the sea witch is a sympathetic character. Oh, wow. 
The sea witch is older, wiser, outcast, maybe has made some mistakes. And she tells the little mermaid, this isn't a good idea. I know you're going to do it anyway. So she is the only authority figure who doesn't try to stand in the little mermaid's way. She enables her to have what she wants, but she's very, very clear about the costs. There's a transparency there that no other adult character is willing to engage in with this teenager. And so in, in many ways, she's, she's the example of what an adult should be like mm-hmm. with an older teenager. Mm. Right? So right. I like that point. I, I do, like too. That. I do, too, because Triton mm-hmm. is not the way to go. Triton is like, I done told you two times, and she says, Daddy, I'm still going upstairs. And then he comes down, and when he realizes that she's in love with a human and mm-hmm. his hate for humans, he just mm-hmm. destroys everything that she holds valuable. Now, granted, when I was 16, do you know what I value? I valued my, I think it was my H-Town tape <laughs> and my Walkman. And I think I may have had a Shy cassette tape because, oh, my gosh, I used to love Shy. But don't come in here and wreck my stuff as a show of force, right, of dominance. And it was just that, that violence that he had the ability to tap mm-hmm. into. That was really scary for me as a kid. And where is your mama, Ariel? Where is your mother? I don't know. And I do have, like I said, some thoughts. I think that Ursula is the queen bee of the sea. And I think that she is the petty queen of darkness and she's proud of it. And Shannon and I was having this conversation earlier today. Just the fact that Ursula, and and this is... When we first had this conversation, my gosh, was that a year ago? It was a year and a half. <gasps> year and a half at least. A year and a half ago was when we first, we had dinner at Shannon's house. And she cooked a lovely meal. And <laughs> I took some Tupperware home and I just gave it back to her in 2018. Sorry, Shannon. <laughs> it's just the life I live. Please lay my head and not my heart. But we were sitting there, we were talking, and we were just talking about fairy tales and, and Shannon's uh, background in uh, fairy tale retelling and her dissertation work. And I said, you know, I've always loved Ursula because to me, the relationship that Ursula had in the beginning of the cartoon, she said in some way, shape or form, she used to be a part of that world. She used to be a part of the palace and she got kicked out. And you don't know what she got kicked out for. It's never explained, but Ursula decided that she was not going to suffer no matter what circumstances what box she was placed in you will not get the satisfaction of seeing her suffer and waste away she is going to be great even in the darkest of places and so I really appreciate that aspect of her right like it was you never quite know what it is she's automatically demonized Disney has a very dangerous habit of darkening the skin tones of all their villains, especially their female villains. When you look at Ursula, you look at Maleficent, right? Or making those stark, very drastic comparisons to those folks who are considered normal, using air quotes, or more human. You know, look at Cruella DeVille, very stark complexion, right? From everyone else. Disney does that. Disney takes these grotesque moves, right? And strips these people of their humanity or strips them of their ability to be seen as a part 
of this society and also really criminalizes darker skin tones, and so, which is a whole nother issue that we probably would get into later in this podcast series because we got a lot of things to uncover. Hi, this is Shannon. We're taking a break right now so I can tell you a little about the program bringing this podcast to you. Once Upon a Patriarchy is the first in what we hope will be a series of podcasts produced through the graduate program in writing and digital communication at Agnes Scott College. Podcasts in this series advance our vision of cultivating just and inclusive community and promoting respectful dialogue across difference through digital communication. As the faculty director of the program, I'd like to personally invite you to refresh your thinking and career with a master's degree or graduate certificate at the place where liberal arts and professional programs meet. Develop content for the web and social media, and prepare yourself for whatever comes after through digging deep into the history, theory, and cultural impact of the mediums you're working in. Build your writing and technical skills and curate your digital portfolio. Take classes at night or on weekends in person in Decatur, Georgia. Our faculty care about getting to know you and making sure your education helps you meet your goals. For real, I'm one of them. I care. We even have a full-time career coach who can help you strategize your next steps. Visit agnescott.edu slash graduate programs to request information. Now, back to the show. I feel that my original interpretation of Ursula when I was a child was someone, she was scary. She was very, very scary. But there was also this really attractive draw to how she sees life. Right. And also this view of who she is and what she deserves, you know, and the life she deserves to live. When she talks about the poor, unfortunate souls and she talks about how she's wasting away and she talks about how, you know, these these limitations and that limitations and what she deserves is a very she's very sure of her some form of her rights being taken away from her and that the person who did that was Triton. And so she's very aware of that. Now her methods as a grown woman now watching it, I was like, all right, so how are you going to undercut another mer woman? <laughs> another C femme? What are you doing? You know, um, because again, at, what's also interesting, the underlying tone is that everything in this movie, every movement around beginning to completion of this cartoon was done for the purposes of receiving getting some sort of reaction from a man it was ursula and wanting to upset triton it was ariel wanting to gain love and affection from eric everything was done to get a reaction and i do i think no i think that ursula was probably the closest person living a life of authenticity i think that it was still tainted i think it was still tainted in earlier conversations with Shannon, I also thought that there was a sexual relationship between uh, King Triton and Ursula. Mm -hmm. And I think in my head, what I saw was that there was a relationship. She worked or lived and or lived in a palace and it went too far and the wife found out. And it became apparent that King Triton needed her to stay in her place. And I think that Ursula has always had goals and dreams. 
that just extended far beyond her station, her current station. And I think she was punished for it. And I think that's the other piece that runs concurrent with a lot of the other female villains in Disney in Disney narratives. Like, no matter where they are placed and how much is done, they are still very vocal, right? And so I think that, and, and they're vocal in being able to verbalize the discrimination and, and just the practices that are just not at all on par for who they feel that who they are and the rights that they have. And I think that that's why she was punished. I love her. I often wonder who hurt you, who, who hurt you and how can I help you? But I, I do like her style. Not gonna lie. Yeah. I think that if we take a moment, uh, Janine, I think this is a question that I have for you. If you had a moment to to kind of talk through some of your ideas around the stark differences between Ariel and Ursula, just as two female characters in this cartoon, what are some of the differences and the themes that come up for you? That feels like a ginormous question. Okay. <laughs> Answer uh, it how you wish. You're our psychotherapist, so. <laughs> uh, that's, that's true. That's how I know it's a ginormous question. So if we go on, like, from the, the basics to the more complex, they are both living in two different developmental times in their lives. So mm-hmm. you have Ariel very much in that space where her prefrontal lobe is still forming. <laughs> and so that impulsivity makes sense. That decision-making, poor decision-making skills makes sense. The inattention, all that makes sense. But also very much coming from a life of privilege in which she is so fully aware that she can sing songs about. And <laughs> the one job she's... So, <laughs> right? This is, yeah. this is no, you're... You yeah. This is hilariously <laughs> correct. Go ahead. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. I also noticed in the movie that she is like the spitting image of her mother. I wonder if that also yes. did that uh, Triton chose to parent her as well. So that's you know, and on the basic sense that she is there where Ursula is a woman. She's an adult woman. There is no question about if she's a teenager or in between, that sort of thing. And even being banished or whether she chose that space, it's hard to tell how that came about in terms of her home and her abode. I think the thing that they they kind of have in common is that they both took to some level maybe like a pride in their appearance like I remember her putting on the lipstick Mm -hmm. and her hair is coiffed so I don't know who's doing her hair but they they sort of embrace those parts of themselves Ursula clearly knows how to you know if this is if this is something that you want to engage with me on then I need to be clear about I need you to be clear about what this means mm-hmm. if we if we move forward with that as opposed to Ariel that sort of has a very you know a naive approach to things and again that's kind of understandable given the age gap yeah i think there are some things that in some ways both Ariel and Ursula have you know, these pets that are kind of like accessories. Mm-hmm. And because even when her eels burn or die or turn to ash, I'm not exactly sure what happens to them. They're like paper at the end. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, she has that one brief mm-hmm. moment where she grieves, but not for real. And she kind of kind of moves on. I wonder, yeah. I mean, you talk about maybe Ursula being a part of the kingdom or even being a former lover of the king. I wonder if 
Ursula is not related to Ariel in some ways. Yeah. So, because they have some ways of, of, I can see with some more experiences and understanding and having some ego blows, Ariel being an Ursula mm. at some point. So, yeah. Ooh. I don't know. Ooh, that's, ooh. One of the things that just strikes me about about Ursula, rewatching it, I just kept thinking she's she's being punished for being too big mm-hmm. for the life that she wants. Oh, yeah. And then in the end, of course, she becomes literally too big. big. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She gets right. And that's when they the kill board. her. Yeah. Yeah. And it's Eric that kills her. Mm-hmm. So it's she's after Triton. Right. She's used Ariel. Mm-hmm. And Eric, the boring, mm-hmm. is the one who kills her, which it works in the Disney canon. The prince always comes out of nowhere to kill the monster, save the girl. But it doesn't right. make any sense Mm-mm. outside of that canon. The only reason that that makes sense is because that's what happens in Disney movies. Right. And they couldn't very well. Ariel couldn't be a murderer. Right. A man can be a murderer mm. and he's valiantly slaying the dragon. Right. Or whatever. But it becomes the hero. Yeah. Why is she and why does she have the body of an octopus and everyone else has the body of a fish? Where are her people? Where are her people? I think that I think that that is used to further distance her from the community. I think that what Disney is saying is that you don't belong when you're different. You don't when you don't belong, and when you're different, you you lose privilege of being a part of communities. You have to assimilate, Mm -hmm. and if you physically can't assimilate, we don't want to see you. I think that that's what it is. I think that talking, um, going back to what you said about size, I think that it is, I think it's very important. I think that as it relates to this idea of her being larger, just in general of her not being in or not staying in her box that she's placed in and working outside of all the expectations that are there even when you think about the people who are part of the community these seem to be all able-bodied mer people right and those who are not even when ursula was doing her 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 ditty you know her ditty and and explaining to ariel who she was when she talked about other folks who actually were not happy with themselves physically that's when they came to see her mm-hmm. right more folks who wanted to lose weight more folks who wanted to gain weight who wanted to be in relationships who wanted this who wanted that those are the poor unfortunate souls and so the other question is you know is there not a place for people who don't fit that mm-hmm. right in 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 the undersea there's not and i think that's what keeps driving people because when she was destroyed there's so many people who were transformed back, mm-hmm. right? But the question is, it goes back to the infrastructure. Like, is the system that is here that you're living in, is it helpful to you? Is, mm-hmm. is it accepting of you? And from the just the number, mm-hmm. you know, of souls that were released, Triton, I don't think you're running. I almost curse. I don't think you're running your stuff right. I just don't. You know, I think that. I think that that her size is actually not only her size on, under the sea, I think was off-putting. I think that this idea of this expansive growth, because when she grew, she was also leader of the sea at that point. Mm-hmm. She was wearing a crown. She had the trident. She was a woman of power. 
and she was larger than people on land, right? She could not be contained by the sea. She could not be contained by humans. She could not be contained by anyone. She was her own entity. And that's why she was killed. So. I wonder if she would have, like, had Eric not stabbed her with the ship. Is that what happened? The whole ship, friend. Yeah. 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 Could she even have survived that size? You know what I mean? I don't know Mm -hmm. how. I I don't. I don't know. Octopi. 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 (laughs) You know, could she even survive like that with just her tentacles in the water? I don't know how that works. Mm -hmm. So would she have died? Right. Could she have adapted? Is there a way to adapt to that? Mm -hmm. Right. Did she she destroy herself? Mm -hmm. I kind of wondered, and I, I didn't think of this as a kid, but I thought of it watching this this last time. What was she going to do before they killed her? I mean, she was going to take down Triton and take down his little entitled brat daughter and her human lover and all of that. But they weren't her people. Yeah, I don't think she had a plan. Like, did but yeah, like, was it just die gloriously in revenge? I think in the same way that Janae said before about Ariel, just maneuvering spaces and running off impulses, even though there are some developmental differences in their age and experience. I think in this instance that this was a flaw of hers, right? This could have been a flaw where I don't think she had a plan. Mm-hmm. I think she had been waiting. She had been she just been lying in wait and trying to figure out when is the opportunity. Like even when we're first introduced to her, we're introduced to her because through her spies who are just keeping watch on the on everything, right? Mm-hmm. And that's her moment. And I think that what is not shown is just the fact that how long she has waited for a moment in that way. And so I don't think she had a plan. I think things probably moved faster than she thought. And then when Ariel was very close to getting the affection that she saw out, I think that scared her. I think all bets were off. And so I don't think she had a plan. I think she she knew what she wanted. And I don't think she, I don't even think she wanted to rule the space. I think she just didn't want Triton there. If you had the opportunity to retell the story of The Little Mermaid, what would it look like? That'd be a lot more color, literally and figuratively. So, yes. Um, so yeah, I think, as someone who identifies as having several marginalized identities, the idea of a princess movie sometimes gets lost in translation. So, mm-hmm. because, yeah, so that's something that I don't have access to and also and also sometimes seems a little silly. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> so I wonder if, there, there, you all have posed so many questions through this conversation, and some of that would, I think would make for a fantastic retelling. So figuring out where Sebastian, um, <laughs> how he got there, and where are his people, because wherever they are, they have a good time. I think that would be that would be cool to find out what's going on. I also kind of thought Flounder was a little black boy. I don't know why. So I did people, too. We got to find out where they are. And then what do people do for a living? Like, what's going on? I need to see this community running. You know, I have, you know, entrepreneurship is my thing. So I, 
want to know how this is being funded. How do we have gold things? How do we have, you know, lipsticks? Somebody is doing hair. I need to know what's going on with this little community. And do they have currency? I am just so curious. So that's, that's one thing. And then the other part is... I mean, it seems to be like the idea that humans are sort of evil. Well, one, if they take you out of the water, then you're dead. Like, that's that's the thing. But was there some sort of invasion or something? Like, what? There are just so many. So maybe I would answer some of those stories. I don't even know if we need Eric. Do we need him? No, oh, we don't we, need oh, Eric. if we did, maybe he <laughs> wouldn't be a prince. Maybe he just would. I don't know. He, he needs a lot of work. Yeah. So... Mm-hmm. He would have to work his way in order to make a, a for real part in this story because he didn't really add much. I would be more curious as to how people have whatever rules they are abiding by, how they came to be and the rules that people tend to, you know, that they want to break. Because we all, you know, have the itching for doing things that we shouldn't have, whatever, how those things happen. I am much more interested and those things, as opposed to, like, following Ariel around, who's not rooted to anything. She's just rooted into not doing the things that people need her to do. Mm. And so, you don't, you should get any screen time for that uh, um, in, 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 <laughs> in my movie. So, <laughs> I would much rather see people build empires and do wonderful things. Or if you're going to have a great clash, learning more about that. So... Yeah, as opposed to it being all around this one person who there's a lot of death as a result. So that's sort of, I think, what my movie would look like a little bit. Mm. What about you, Shin? I'm I'm still lost in Janae's movie. I know it's done. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm 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 thinking about this. <laughs> I'm I mm, no, I want Janae's movie. <laughs> no, I I have my own imagination. Wait, I've got to free it. <laughs> I'm still, I'm thinking about like, ooh, like, what if it's like an exploration of Sebastian's, like, his origin story in his community because they do, are in trade with the oh. with the merfolk and like he you know that's how he ended up there is that he was recruited for his talent and his you know like the sea king heard him play or heard him conduct and said please come wow. right mm. like and then you have travel and you have diplomacy maybe there's some mm-hmm. diplomatic conflict. Mm. Oh, okay, okay, but I, I'm trying to leave that. You're very creative. Do not sell <laughs> yourself short. You just took us there. You took us there and you brought us back. So. Yeah, absolutely. My personal interest, I'm very interested in Sebastian. I'm very interested in, in Ursula, the sea witch. I have zero interest in Eric. Uh, Eric can just go okay. away. Right, um, right. I'm really also curious about the sisters because mm-hmm. they get... They have they have nothing. They have a story in the. They seem to be a very close family in the in the original story. And there's like actually explanation of when each of them turns fifteen and they go to the surface for the first time. What that one saw, where she went, what she saw, and what she thought of it. And it says something really distinct about each of their personalities. Mm. And none of that's in the movie. And I just, I want to know about those other girls and what it do, what does it do to them when their father is abusive towards their younger sister, who is a brat. Right. But. Didn't deserve it. He wrecks her room. He violently destroys her room. That is terrifying. That man with that temper, 
who wants his girls to be like presented in clamshells. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. there's some at the concerts. He is yeah. he is the P Diddy of the underworld. I think he's P Diddy. I think <laughs> Ursula's Le Kim. I think I think his wife was Faith Evans. <laughs> I actually think, you know what, he's not P. Diddy. I actually think Sebastian's P. Diddy. I think that he was notorious B.I.G. Actually. Uh, uh-huh. mm-hmm. We were in the dog park and she started telling me this a year and a half ago. And yeah. I was like, we got to do a podcast. Exactly. <laughs> um, I, I, I think that my retelling would focus on the marginalized people who were not um, really brought into the conversation. I think Flounder, Ursula, and Sebastian have similarities in that there are no other people. Their people are not there. However, Sebastian and Flounder became the accepted minority, and Ursula was not. And so I want to know that story. I am interested in the sisters as well. I come from a large family of women, and I believe in the power of a girl gang. And so I really would love to, my retelling would have all of those women in power. Mm. Again, Eric does not exist because Eric never existed for Eric. Like the, it just wasn't a thing. Mm. I still think that Eric just happened to be the guy on a guy on a boat when she went up to the surface and saw the fireworks. I think it was all happenstance, and I think that she risked her whole existence of the underworld of the uh, under the sea for a happenstance. I would definitely have more people of color and just more diverse stories. I would want to know more about Ursula. I I, I want to know more about Ursula and I will save her. Mm. I think Ursula is worth saving. And I would, my story would be about Ursula finding healing for whatever trauma she endured that turned into anger and bitterness and violence, similar to the story of Moana. Mm. And I will heal her. And I think she could be a very productive citizen of that community. I think that Ariel's mother got a divorce and is receiving alimony (laughs) and is somewhere living in another part of the sea and is being kept up into the manner which she became accustomed to. I think she doesn't want King Triton. And I don't think I want King Triton in my story. He will have a little to no impact um, in the story. I think that he would be a great historian. Someone I'll put him in a library or something. But I don't think he needs to sit on the throne. So that's my retelling. I like it. Yeah. Well, Janae, thank you so much for engaging us in in this foolery that is known as the once upon a patriarchy podcast it's been a pleasure i have (laughs) thoroughly enjoyed you all have my imagination fired up right now thank you for that i appreciate this how can people get a hold of you they'd like to learn more oh the easiest way is to find me through the minding my black business podcast website so it's mindingmyblackbusiness.com On there, you will find all the links to our social media pages. We have a Facebook group for Black entrepreneurs, but also we're on Instagram and Twitter as well. And so you'll find those icons there. Or if you just want to go to those platforms and type in Minding My Black Business, you shall find me. So yeah, I'm out here. 
Yeah. And as a member of a lot of those communities and those platforms and minding my black business, larger community, I can tell y'all it is a wonderful opportunity to connect with other minority entrepreneurs, as well as an opportunity to really have like, it's a lot, you give a lot of like, yo, gut check, how you feeling today? And for real, take care of yourself moments that I really hadn't had before your platform came to creation. So I do appreciate you for that. And I appreciate you for the voice that you led, that you lent us today as a mental health professional, Mm -hmm. but as well as someone who is able to just help us retell and disrupt these stories that we are slowly trying to overthrow patriarchy one one podcast episode at a time. And so you have helped us do that (laughs) as well. So I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, thank you, friend.